When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The rose water collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hi guys, my name is Sammy J. I've been working as a correspondent and interviewer since I was 13. And now at 17, I am so honored to be the youngest person to have her own podcast on iHeartRadio. It's called Let's Be Real with Sammy J. We'll have in-depth and unfiltered conversations with celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers. We'll cover topics we're curious about, topics my guests are passionate about, and topics many of us are just too afraid to talk about. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Bridget, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today's episode is a little bit of a heavy topic. I just want to address right up front, it's about death and dying. Today we're talking about how you go through the process of grieving when you lose a parent or a loved one. Now, there's a ton of research out there about the negative impacts losing a parent has on a child, but actually not that much on how it impacts adults. Now, I think that's because losing a parent is kind of considered to be a normal rite of passage for going into adult life. But it almost seems to me there should be more research if we're all dealing with this, not less. One theory for why there's so little research was posited in 1943 by Talcott Parsons. He basically theorized that when we get married, we become less attached to our parents. But this is actually not true, as research in the United States during the last 40 years pretty much refuted the idea that Americans radically disconnect or abandon their parents, married or not. Now, what we do know is that men and women tend to grieve differently. According to Thomas Becker from the Green Bay Center for Oncology, men tend to grieve by picking up some new task, skill, or responsibility— laundry or cooking, men really channel their grief into tasks. Women, on the other hand, tend to be a little more emotional. They work out their grief by talking about it. They tell their story over and over again because that helps them process how they're feeling. He writes that women confide in friends, outwardly express their feelings and emotions to feel their way through grief. Furthermore, rather than focusing on fixing it or problem solving, women look toward connection and perspective to work through their grief. The feminine approach to grief, he writes, might find you reaching out to people to share your thoughts, stories, and feelings. Looking into the research on women and grieving, I was really struck by the idea that women work through grief by sharing stories and their feelings. That's why I was so taken with Molly Guy. Now, I always knew Molly as this really cool lady on the internet. Vogue.com contributing editor and the founder and creative director of Stone Fox Bride. Perfect hair, great clothes, the kind of effortlessly cool NYC life I've always wanted. When her father passed away, she began sharing intimate images and stories of his life on Instagram, calling it a digital diary about life, death, and dads. And as a lifelong daddy's girl, I was hooked. I've talked briefly on the show about having a chronically ill parent and living in fear that one day he won't be around. And when I saw Molly's project on Instagram, it stopped me mid-scroll. It forced me to confront a reality I almost never let myself acknowledge. One day, I'll be grieving my own father. Some of the things Molly shares are sweet and mundane, a picture of her and her dad having a meal with a touching caption about how much he loved Chicago. 
Some are gut-wrenching and unflinchingly honest. In one post, she shares an image of her father in a hospital bed. The caption recalls that someone else's sick father was in the hospital room next to her own. She reveals that during her devastation, she asked God why her dad had died, and the dad in the next room did not. Through this digital archive of her grief, Molly is using Instagram to show the world what this process really looks like. Sometimes it looks sweet and touching. Other times it looks like cataloging the odd little things about your loved one that you just don't want to forget. And sometimes it's just plain angry. We'll hear from Molly after this quick break. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. Molly, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Bridget. Um, It's such an honor to be a guest on your show. I actually have a question for you. Yeah, please. Can we start with my question? Sure. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that your dad is chronically ill. Yeah, he is. Can you tell me about what's going on with your dad? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I don't talk about my dad very often, mostly because it's difficult. And it's one of those things where I have not fully let myself deal with what it means. I think for a lot of heavy emotional reasons, you know, part of it is, I've spent most of my life as a young person being a, you know, going out and going to school and getting a job and moving around. And I feel like so much of your 20s are kind of, you're you're sort of, it's sort of encouraged to be a bit narcissistic. And I've definitely done that. And when I found out my dad was ill, that was the first time that I had to sort of think about what that meant in a larger sense. I had not even thought about what that meant because you just assume that you get forever with your parents. You don't even think about it. And so my dad has a chronic illness called sarcoidosis. Uh, it's very rare. It's the, it's the illness that Bernie Mac, the comedian, died from. Um, and, you know, my dad is 
my best friend. He's the reason that I am who I am. He, so much of me is him. We could not be more similar, but also... So how, how old were you when, you're, when he was diagnosed and what are his symptoms? So my dad was diagnosed. It's kind, of, it's kind of a funky story. My dad was ill for a while. And, you know, I kind of, as a kid, I kind of knew something was up. But it didn't become a real thing that we dealt with in an explicit way as a family until I was in my mid-20s. And the way that, the way that we kind of came to terms with this was when I, I was in graduate school at the time, and we found out that my dad was very sick and that in order to save his life, he needed a liver transplant. And my brother, I have an older brother, he offered his liver to my dad. And so... The, the, the way that it came to be like a family situation that we were all dealing with was through the fact that my brother was going to be donating a liver to my dad. And so up until that point, my parents sort of quietly held this burden away from us because they thought, you know, he'll get better. We'll fight this. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with, we'll, we'll bring them in. We'll bring the kids into this when they need to be brought. And so, you know, as a, you know, but this time I was a teenager for a lot of this time. I went to college. I think I... I didn't really I didn't really grapple with it. I knew there were signs of like my dad coughed a lot. He often would have like intense coughing fits. When he would travel or work a lot, he would be, you know, down for the count for a very long time. And I always sort of thought like, oh, this is normal, this is not unusual. And it wasn't until my parents said, you know, he needs this this surgery that I realized my my dad is chronically ill and I had not sort of let myself deal with that until that moment. And so for me, it was this like shattering thing where everything I thought about my parents, you know, this idea that your parents are just going to be there forever. I had to kind of accept like this is that's not real. You, you know, and there's this, this this sounds very strange, but there's this um, website where, I mean, it sounds so morbid, but you can calculate, you know, if you visit home X times a month and your parents are X, X years old, they can calculate based on, you know, the average span of life for an adult man and adult woman in America. They can say, if you visit home X times a month, that means that you'll see your parents this many times before they die. And that sounds very morbid. Oh, my God. I love that. So the website is called seeyourfolks.com. And you put in what country your parents live in. On average, how many times a year do you see your parents? How old is your mom? How old is your dad? And it calculates, you know, if you're visiting home, this t- many times a month, this is how many times you'll probably see your parents again based on those numbers. Wow. Okay, I'm sending this to my siblings right now. Yeah, it really, I mean, the tagline on the site says, we're so busy growing up sometimes that we forget that they're also growing old. And I think that really struck me because I just, I didn't think about it. I did, it never even, it sounds so narcissistic and so dumb, but I didn't even think about it. And, you know, I was that, I was that sibling who like, I'm the youngest, so I'm the sibling who, like, went off to the city to go build a kooky life full of kooky characters, and that's been a part of my identity. But you kind of—it's easy to forget the, those people in your life that ground you when you're busy going off building that life, you know? Completely identify with that. Mm-hmm. I um, Your story is very similar to mine. My dad got diagnosed with— um, something called polysthemia vera in 1997. I was in college. I was, I, it was the, um, 
I think my junior year in college or my sophomore year in college, my dad, I think at the time was like 52 or 53 and perfect health as far as I know. And like a very, um, a person who really like radiated and projected perfect health. He was 6'6". He was like an all-star basketball player in college. Um, He was a tennis player. He never took sick days. He was president of his real estate company. He ate really well. Um, He'd never complained about his health ever. And he started to talk about how his, um, his, his fingers had were tingling. And like, who wants to hear your parents complain about their health when you're 19 years old? I wasn't paying a lot of attention, but um, I do remember at some point that summer, my mom saying that my dad had been diagnosed with this rare form of this rare blood disease. And we went to New York to visit my sister, who was fresh out of college, and my mom and I shared a hotel room, and we woke up one morning, and and I remember seeing her mascara all over the pillow because she had been crying. And um, the next 20 years, my dad left his his real estate, his corporate real estate job. He started the NPN Foundation, which was dedicated. There was no, no one really knew very much about the blood cancer that he had. He, um, in his mid 50s, d- devoted his his career to um, raising money to fund scientific research in the name of of NPN, myeloproliferative per, neoplasms. Um, he ended up raising $20 million by the time that he died. and But his disease was very much on the periphery of my life. He was, for the most part, pretty asymptomatic. And the symptoms that he had, I didn't really want to know about. I was very much kind of in denial. And um, there were some time, you know, he took a range of different drugs. He had, what, There were, you know, periods of times where he would have to have phlebotomies at the hospital or where he would have to inject himself where he was on interferon. Um, he was on different drugs that had different side effects, but um, I never wanted to know about it. It very much, I, I was very much um, not a part of my life at all. And I mean, I, I totally identify with what you said about like the narcissism of your 20s. My life was very much about my life and my drama. And I didn't want to ask, I mean, I sort of perfunctorily said, dad, how's your health? But I didn't really want to know. And, um, after I had a baby and started my own business, I joined the board of my dad's nonprofit. I thought maybe I could help him do some marketing work, which I did. And But I would always say, you know, I don't know anything about the science and I don't know, I can't really keep up with the scientific research. It's not my specialty. Um, but this summer, my dad's disease progressed really quickly. And he uh, asked my sister and my mom and my uncle and I to meet to come with him to meet with a stem cell transplant specialist in New York. And we did, and he was feeling sick at that time. And the specialist said that his disease was on the verge of converting to leukemia and he would need a transplant. And boom, I mean, he died four months later. And in those four months, he went from being, you know, my super like virile, happy, healthy dad to like a really sick, pretty sick guy. And, um, it's, it didn't really hit me. So that was late August when it was decided that he would have a stem cell transplant. And this procedure was really sold to us as being sort of foolproof, 15% mortality rate due to complications. But I mean, who thinks, I mean, that seemed like a complete, you know, it seemed like a no brainer, like who gets a 15% complication. 
and um, and two months later, uh, my dad wasn't responding to the chemo and was still really sick. And there was this one day we had a doctor's appointment where she mentioned something on October 26th where I realized that um, there was a good possibility that he could die. And I think that was like probably the worst day of my life. It had seriously never occurred to me before that my dad could die. It had never really like, I had never really felt the possibility that he could die until then. That was only a few months ago. And um, him and I heard those words together. We were in the Uber car together. We um, had lunch together afterwards. And um, that night I asked my friend Rachel to come over and like sit with me. We watched my cousin Vinny together just because I felt like I needed to, I mean, I was so scared. It was like the weirdest feeling. I think throughout all of this, that was the worst day ever to this day. Um, but yeah, I mean, I never, it had never occurred to me that my dad was going to get old and die. It sounds so silly. I mean, it's like you have heard, I mean, I've heard this line a hundred times in like a Nicholas Sparks book or a movie, but, um, it just didn't seem applicable to anything in my life that my dad would, that my dad's body would fail him. I identify with that so much. I think that, you know, you look back at these pictures of your loved one, you know, for, for you, your father, and it's, it's something about it. It seems like they're going to be there forever. It's, I mean, I, you, you posted something on your Instagram that was a picture of your dad when he was a bit younger and how it didn't occur to you that, you know, he was human in a kind of way. And having to confront as our parents get older, get sick, get ill, their bodies fail, having to confront that this image that we've built that they're going to live forever, we'll always have them in our lives, we can take them for granted. It's it just sort of one day that that mask comes off and you see it for the reality. And it's just, you just think, how could I have thought this for so long? I mean, I think if we were to really grasp 